am Antonia. Um, I'd like to offer praise. Um, God definitely intervened very directly and gave me housing mm. for free over Christmas break. So I'll be house sitting and cat sitting for some friends who will be gone. Um, and that means I won't have to pay several hundred dollars of rent to the school Ooh. to live there over, this, over the break. Yay. Oh, that's awesome. Praise yeah. God. So praise God. Yeah. And then I'd like to ask prayers for Will, who's not here this morning because last night he tore something in his knee while he was climbing. Um, he's still able to walk on it, so it's not super serious, which is awesome. Um, praise God for that. But yeah, just prays that he heals up quick because um, he likes to perch on things and he should be here. So, <laughs> yeah. you know. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, we'll pray for Will and his knee. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Corinne. I'd like to ask for prayer for my mom and my sister. Um, my sister had a tough conversation with my mom yesterday, just letting her know about things um, that are really hard. And the reaction that my mom had is, I mean, reasonable. <laughs> just she feels betrayed and she's really angry. Um, so prayers that... Um, God would be in that situation, but also prayers for myself because I feel really torn uh, between both of them. Uh, so, mm -hmm. sorry. Um, just pray that I would be an ally for both of them um, and that I could be listening to God as this sort of processes. Um, and that I'd be brave enough to tell my mom what she might not want. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Corinne. I know that's been it's a difficult thing that's been ongoing for a little bit, but thank you. Praying for your mom and your sister for that conflict there. Hey, everybody, it's Nick. Um, wow. Uh, so, first of all, thank you for praying along with my wife for her dad on his behalf. Uh, she shared him a prayer request for him over and over again. Uh, we're going to ask you to keep it up. Please keep praying for him. He went in the hospital uh, and was admitted yesterday morning, very, very early. He has a blockage in his intestine, and he also has a colonostomy. That is not a good combination. It's a pretty grave situation. Her uh, older brother, Glenn, was going to go visit him today, but he is so sick from just stress, worrying about his dad, that he's staying home to rest. And I'm watching my wife kind of go through the same thing. So our main prayer is for her older brother, Glenn, that uh, his heart would open to Christ because he needs Jesus to see him through this time. And, uh, of course, pray for Lori, uh, too, that her faith would remain strong. And uh, pray that whatever time my father-in-law has, he's a tough old badger, so he might be around for a while, uh, but whatever time he has, that God opens his heart while he's in this state. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Continue to pray for Lori's dad, her brother Glenn. Hi, I'm Ted. My stepmom got released from the hospital, which some would say yay to, but she immediately fell when she got home, and she's been having seizures since then. We just, uh, we pray for the family now because the, the healing is probably going to look different than what they want. It's probably going to be the ultimate healing for her which is good, but I don't think that they're ready to accept that yet. Mm. So, and I also, I, I praise this church for all of you here, for all of the support that you offer, for all of the, all of the tasks that we do. So thank you all for being here. We appreciate you. Mm. We appreciate you for being such a catalyst for so many of those tasks, but we're sorry to hear about your stepmom. Pray for her, pray for you family. Isaac's over here reading. Uh, first off, uh, praise. My brother got married yesterday. I saw him. Gonna go on his honeymoon, so. Yeah. Congratulations cool. to him. Yeah. That being said, that does leave an open room in my apartment, so if anybody <laughs> knows that someone looking for an going apartment, once, going twice. come talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
Hi, I'm Sarah, and um, I'd like prayer for my mom in Washington. She's got health issues going on, but for the last year, her doctors have kept having her back to have blood drawn and then saying they get abnormal results and they need mm. to send out referrals and they forget for like months at a time. And it's just really mm. low quality health care. So it's been a year and she should be seeing some specialists, but on top of all the offices being backed up in the patients they can take, she's also being set back really far because mm -hmm. referrals just aren't getting out and the, the office is dropping the ball again and again. And she was just kind of in tears on the phone yesterday feeling like nobody was helping yeah. her and she's getting worse and her like she's getting a lot of numbness and she's scared and she just can't feels like she can't get anybody to actually take care of her so pray that her appointments would be bumped up that somebody would cancel and she mm -hmm. could slip in and maybe that we could just find her a better yeah. doctor to see it's hard from far away but yeah. uh, that god would show me if there's something i can do to help her from here yeah got to be a frustrating situation. Pray for that. For an open door, for a change, the priorities and the action. Um, okay, so, hi, I'm Luke. Um, my friend Jacob, not Jacob Schlinkert, who's right behind me. Thanks for clarifying. Um, yeah, no problem. He's been here a few times. Um, he's got a mustache. It's his most discerning feature. Discernible. <laughs> no, whatever. Um, <laughs> she's the English major. Um, yeah, anyway, he collapsed in his dorm the other day, um, was completely blacked out, mm. so he has been hospitalized, so prayers for him that we can figure out what's wrong with him, how to not make that happen anymore. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Long and short. Yeah. Pray for your friend, Jacob. And here's the other friend, Jacob. Yeah. Hi, I'm Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to give... Praise and prayer, both uh, for a friend of mine named Mike uh, we've been working with. Um, he has, he's kind of the, the classic case of doesn't want to believe in God, doesn't want to be Christian. But I think the Holy Spirit's been kind of mm. acting on him. Because every time we hang out, he asks some kind of question related to Christianity, um, which is really cool. So praise for that. Uh, but just prayer that I'll be able to give good, accurate answers and just become better friends with them over the time that yeah. Audrey and I are still here. So. Yeah, that's great. That's always exciting to see that open door. We're going to pray you'd be able to walk through it. Hi, I'm Mandy. Um, I'd ask you guys to pray about my dad, who had also had blacking out issues, like <laughs> this Jacob. Um, hopefully it's not the same thing. Anyway, um, he was supposed to have a pacemaker replacement, so they didn't put... The first time he had one in August, they didn't put in the type he really needed, so they need to have another one. Anyway, um, it was scheduled for November, and the doctor decided to take vacation, so now he has put off until sometime in December to have this. But he's now beginning to have um, breathing problems, too, trouble with breathing, probably oxygen, getting enough oxygen because his heart's not functioning properly because right. he doesn't have the right kind of pacemaker. Anyway, um, yeah, it's just a... A snowball kind of mm -hmm. thing. So if we could continue to keep him in our prayers, I'd appreciate that. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Mandy. For him. Hopefully, this maker situation would help the others then. Anything else? Mix in the shadows back there. Oh, I forgot I had one more. Uh, There's no limit. Yeah, starting tomorrow going. and going through uh, the, uh, I'm going to be supporting for sophomores and freshmen uh, for a retreat. So just pray for those kids. And uh, you broke the mic. Yeah. So you said you have 144 total. Kids, okay. So you have a retreat this week at school at Rapid City Christian for the school at Cedar Canyon. Okay. Sorry, we just didn't hear a thing you said, so I'm asking you to repeat it. Okay. Retreat. Yeah, so we'll pray for that. Um, we'll pray that this would be just a great beneficial retreat. Not too much stress. Prayers up here in the front. Hello. Yes, I'm Joey. Um, just in 
even looking at my notebook and hearing all of everyone's requests, just a lot of people that are dealing with medical troubles. And um, I would just like to pray that if the Lord wills, that he would do even a miraculous healing mm -hmm. that would not even require doctors somehow. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he is a great physician. Mm -hmm. He can do far more than we could ever ask or think. Mm -hmm. So I just lift all of these requests up to him. That's what he's doing it for here. Thanks for that encouragement. It's good to remember. Like last week, um, we mentioned just briefly the story of the father with the sick son who came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, if you're able, please heal my son. I always just imagine Jesus saying, if I'm able, <laughs> you know, and I think those questions, those doubts come up a lot, um, but we're invited to come before the great physician, pray for healing. But if that is it, then I'm going to assign these for you guys to pray over. Okay? Sound good. So I got, hey, I got one do. more. All right, you got it. <laughs> Thanks for jumping in. So uh, my dad, Brian Soltinsky, former pastor of Common Ground Church, has been looking for a new church to lead and to become part of for a long time now, mm -hmm. pretty much ever since he moved back to the U.S. Um, and has been shot down repeatedly in some rather hurtful ways. Mm -hmm. um, and so this past couple of weeks, he has been talking to a church in Cleveland, Ohio. They are moving forward very quickly and have been very excited to have him there. And so praise God that that's a new mm -hmm. change of pace. But he also has an interview sometime today with them, his second interview before candidating there. So prayers that that goes well and smoothly mm -hmm. and that if this is where God is pulling him and our family, that it would be that fast. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. And for encouragement, because yeah, that's just such a hard thing to go through. So we're praying for your dad, for encouragement, for him to be able to, to block out some of those things that have been said. Okay, now I'm going to assign these to some of you. So hopefully some of you wrote these down. If not, you're going to have about 10 seconds to write down some real quick. Real quick, Or as always, look around for someone who looks like they did. Write them down and who looks like they are ready. Um, but for you guys over on the left side, um, so gather in groups, two, three, nine, whatever you'd like here, and pray over these requests. Um, would you please pray um, over Antonia's request, just praising God that housing has been provided, but pray for her fiance, Will, um, for his knee that has been hurt there. Would you also pray for Lori Rombo's dad and for her brother, Glenn? And you guys are going to pray um, for Luke's friend, Jacob. So Luke's friend, Jacob, who's blacking out. I'm not sure what's going on there. Let's pray for all that's involved there and for Jacob. Um, for him and sharing the gospel with his friend, Mike, who seems to be open. Holy Spirit seems to be doing something. Would you lean into that? Um, now for you guys in the middle. So gather around two or a few people, and would you pray, um, would you pray over, I'll give you something this side, would you pray over Isaac's, um, just the praise about his brother getting married, and for his next roommate, um, he's looking for a roommate, would you just pray for that situation? Um, would you also pray um, for Brian Paltinsky, um, for encouragement for him in this very discouraging season, and for this open door, for the progress that seems to be moving forward here, would you pray over that situation? And then you also, would you guys specifically just pray for healing for some of these situations? Um, would you lean into God as a great physician over those? Okay. Now you guys, stage right, I think it's called. Um, would you guys pray um, for Corinne's family and for her mom, for her sister, and for the conflict that's taking place there? And would you pray for Ted's family as well? His stepmom, having just fallen and going through a seizure, pray for his family as they deal with the grief and as they process what exactly this might mean. Um, also pray um, for Sarah's mom um, and just for the doctors, for someone to be able to advocate for her and just for the frustration that is involved there. And then you are also praying for Mandy's dad. So would you pray for Mandy's dad, for the pacemaker, the breathing issues, for his health? Okay, you got it? So I'm going to give you a few minutes now. You can move if needed. And would you guys just spend a few minutes um, praying for one another? and praying for these requests that have been shared. And so I will go ahead and begin, but you're free to move around, and then I'll conclude us. I will pray to close us, and we can transition back.
So, Father God, we just thank you for hearing us. In your holy name, we give you these requests. So, Father God, um, we just thank you for the truth, the words of Scripture that say that this is the confidence we have approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And God, we just thank you for being the God who hears us, for being the God who sees us, for being the God who is for us, as we have read in Romans, that you are the God whose posture is for us, that you have given us all things and the evidence of that you've given us your son. And so we just come before you with boldness. Thank you again as we now turn to your word. Um, would we be reminded today through this story of a family and of people that happened so long ago of just how you are the same God then as you are today. You are the God who sees us, you are the God who hears us, you are the God who's for us. So we want to be a people who come to you whenever problems arise in our life. Whenever questions come up, I want to hear your voice. So God, would you just shape us and form us? And would this commitment that we are spending over the next few minutes of, of considering your word and what you have to say for us, and would you continue to change us and shape us to be a people who will go to you 
be a people who could see who you are in truth, that we would be changed by it. And so Jesus, um, we just turn our attention to you right now. Turn our attention to you, and would you be speaking um, to the hearts and minds um, beyond just the words that I'm saying, but God, would you be saying um, what needs to be said, and would you be holding back what doesn't, and would you be showing us who you are in the text? And so Jesus, um, we just turn our attention to you. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys. Thank you for leaning into that. I'll give you a minute um, to go back to your seats. You can move back because we are now going to move into our teaching time and to continue on in our series on the life of Abraham. And as we continue to ask the question of how do we grow up? How do we grow in faith? Um, because we recognize that as soon as you, you know, have committed your life to Christ when you're saved, that's not the end of the journey. Um, that all of us, whether we've known Jesus for 30 minutes or 30 years, we all need to grow. We need to grow in faith. We need to grow up in so many different areas of our lives. And the best place to turn in order for knowing how to grow is, of course, God's Word. And so we're looking at the life of Abraham, and we're learning life lessons for growing up, life lessons for how to grow in faith. And we are on chapter 16 today of the book of Genesis. It's on chapter 13 of the uh, NIV Bibles that we have scattered around. Not chapter 13, page 13 there. Um, we're like right at the very beginning there, very early. And we're looking at this story in chapter 16 that I'll warn you is a bit of a messed up story, right? It's a bit of a crazy story that we will read. And this is one of those stories that a lot of people look at and go, oh, you know, this is why I don't like the Bible. It's just all negative. It's all bad. It's just full of nasty people. And I will just affirm that this is one of the reasons I love the Bible, because it's real. It doesn't gloss over the sin, the nastiness of the human condition here. It just brings forward these kind of messed up, uncomfortable stories, because it's not trying to paint a picture of any heroic people, not even Abraham, the father of faith, the father of Abrahamic faiths. Not even he is going to be the hero of the story, but instead this story is just trying to point us to a good, good God. Good, good God. And what we're going to see to kind of set your framework before we start reading in Genesis chapter 16 today, is that really I think what's displayed in this chapter is that God hears you and God sees you. And so because of that, whenever problems arise, we should go to him first, go to God first. But I think in those times when we can't hear from God, I think it's important then to go, one, to his word, and to those we trust who can hear from him. And if we can't, well, that's why we deeply need community. We need others who are listening to the words of God so that we can hear from him. And so, find your way to Genesis chapter 16. Um, we're going to be kind of walking through this story, and we're going to pause as we go. The words will also be on the screen. Um, but we're just going to kind of walk through the story and see what it is God has for us, how to grow in faith. And so follow along. Genesis 16, verse 1. Now, Sarai, who we know later is going to be named Sarah, and so if I call her Sarah, same person. I just can't keep the two separate in my mind. But Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, it, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And so after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, and gave her to Abram as a wife. And so, pause there, because we're now in this story where there has been this theme over and over again. This is a major theme in the life of Abram and Sarai, is that they can't have children. Um, and over and over again, this problem has run up, and now, essentially, the waiting has been too difficult, and Sarah has a solution. She has a bit of a solution, and this is her solution. She says, well, I have the servant, Hagar. She's young and able. We will use her. And objectively, I think we can see right away, okay, well, this is pretty messed up um, because God's people, one, were never allowed to have multiple wives. Um, this was never something that they were instructed or allowed to do, um, but this was essentially kind of a common thing that was done in the ancient Near East at the time. So it wasn't common for God's people, but it was common around the area. 
And so essentially, that was their very low-tech sort of messed up form of surrogacy at the time, and this was Sarah's solution. Sarah essentially, because they had gone so long without having children, she was seeing that this is a way that many people around her were able to solve their problem of infertility. And she's thinking, well, everybody else gets to solve their problem this way. Why can't we? Why can't we? So she comes to Abram and says, here's the solution. You can impregnate, you can impregnate Hagar. And Hagar doesn't seem to have any say in the matter. Because, as we're told here, Hagar, it says, is the Egyptian servant. And most affirm that she was probably given to Abram in one of the previous messed up stories that we read, where Abram and Sarai were going to Egypt. And out of fear that Pharaoh would mess with Abram because his wife Sarai was so beautiful, he said, well, we're going to say that you're my sister, not my wife. Pharaoh took Sarai into the harem and then realized, oh, you are not sibling, you're a wife, gave him back. And then on their way out, Pharaoh essentially said, well, here's a bunch of stuff and a bunch of things just so you get out of here and get away from me and so that you think highly of me. And in that chapter, we were told that some of the things that Pharaoh gave Abram were servants and slaves. And so most likely, Hagar was one of those. She was given to him in one of those other moments of when they had gone down to Egypt, as we talked about. And so here, Abram not only has kind of adopted this Egyptian practice of ancient Near Eastern human trafficking, but now they see this as a solution to have her be the one to get pregnant and have this child. Um, and we've talked about how this issue of wanting a child has come up over and over in their story, because we know in kind of the core promise to Abram and Sarah, it was that they would have kids, that they would have so many descendants, it'd be a mighty nation, and that God would bless the world through them. And you know the end of the story, that eventually that happens. They give birth to many, which eventually leads to Jesus. But at the time here, in this chapter, it obviously hasn't happened yet. It obviously hasn't happened. And they're beginning to worry. They're beginning to fear. Sarah seems to have taken on this infertility, this barrenness, as core to her identity, as the core purpose of her life that she is not fulfilling here. So she's just looking for solutions looking for a solution. And it really was important just at the time um, for them to have children. There would have been a lot of cultural pressure on them. It would have definitely been seen as kind of the main purpose of her life. And especially because God has given them this great calling that they're going to bless the world through their family, they've left everything in order to follow God. And now Sarah is starting to recognize everything in this promise, it kind of looks like it's just all on me. It's all on my shoulders. It's all on my womb. I'm not producing. I'm not doing my part. So she's thinking, I just need to figure out a solution. I need to show that I can bring something to the table when it comes to living out this blessing. So she finds a way to do that. I think we have to recognize she finds a way to do that, of course, without grieving and asking God for help. But instead, she's just kind of come up with some clever solutions, some clever solutions. And we do have to recognize that this would have been a hard moment for her. I mean, she is probably in her 70s or 80s at this point, and I've never had children before, but I've heard that it's a very physically demanding thing to do, to deliver. And so she's essentially considering here, you know, delivering children is something you do when you're young and strong, not when you're in your 70s or your 80s. So she's questioning, she's thinking, this isn't going to be possible. Even if God said it was what we're going to do, we're going to have to find our own way to do it. So she's trying to figure out any way that she can to do it, trying to figure that out. And this is something that I think we have to recognize that we do often, is when there's something so core to what we want, um, whether it be a job, a relationship, or maybe it is, even for you, having a child like this, um, whenever there's one thing that takes such a core place of our identity or takes such a core focus in our hearts and minds where we think, you know, I will do anything and everything I can, including adopting the customs of the world, including sinning, including, you know, going around God to get it, we have to recognize that whatever that thing is that we are trying so hard to get to, it's what the Bible calls an idol, right? Idolatry. That if there's something that we would be willing to go around God to get, we have to recognize it's idolatry. And we often have these things in our lives. You know, like I said, it could be a job, could be a possession, could be a relationship, whatever it is, 
We often try to find these ways around to get it. And that's what Sarah is doing here. She's going around God to get what she wants. And she actually, if you look at her heart um, way back in verse 2, she actually is blaming God for it. She says, God has prevented me from having an abortion. God has prevented me from doing it. And so the fact that she thinks she's going to achieve her destiny apart from God really kind of shows us where her heart was at. But even she thinks that God is actually in the way of this. She thinks God is against her in this situation. And as we've talked about over and over again in this series, and we've been reminded, Romans chapter 8, where we're reminded that the posture of God is for us, towards us. And oftentimes, it's not a matter of if he's presenting here or preventing here. It's a matter of timing, right? It's a matter of our patience, our willingness to wait on God's promise to be fulfilled. Not that he's preventing, not that he's against, um, but this is what she's thinking here. God is standing in my way. He's standing in my way. And when we think about those idols in our own lives, those things that we want so badly, just like, I mean, for Sarah, maybe having a child has become an idol, but it's not inherently a bad thing, right? It's actually something that God said they're going to do. That she actually wants essentially the same thing that God wants for her, but she's just going to try to find a way around it. She's going to find a way to get it. And when it comes to our own idols, when it comes to our own difficulties, can we also not relate and see that, well, oftentimes the things that we want are not inherently bad. Idols typically are either good things that we've just twisted, or they're just completely amoral things that we go about the wrong way. But especially here in this situation, her desire was good, but she was finding a bad way to get to it. And oftentimes it's the same with us, right? Where our desire might be good for a relationship, for love, for peace, world peace, inner peace, whatever it might be. But the means to that end matters. To say, well, I'm going to wait on God for this relationship, for this love, for this money. Or I'm going to figure out any way that I can get it. People around me seem to get it this way. They seem to get love, peace. Um, their relationships are reconciled, and they just go tell people, hey, you're garbage. Get out of here. That seems to work for people. Maybe I'll try that. So what we have to see here, Sarah doing this, and our own tendency to do the same thing. Might be a good thing to go after, but are we going at it our own way? Because really what we have to do is the very first moment there's a need, there's a problem, is to go to God first. Are we going to him first to provide this need, to ask for help, or are we taking it into our own hands right away? here, that's what she did. Took it into her own hands. Did she stop and pray to God once? We don't see that. So she thinks she's coming up with a solution, but as we're going to see, um, her solution is definitely causing a problem in itself. And we're told, we're given a pretty clear hint there in verse 3 that what she is doing is wrong. Um, if you had any questions, um, or I guess it's in the end of verse 2 there, because it says that Abram listened to the voice of of Sarai. And now the author of Genesis is showing us here not that it is bad to listen to women, um, but he's alluding back to Genesis chapter 3, right? This is just a few pages later. This is the exact same phrase that we hear when it says that Adam listened to the voice of his wife. And the implication there is that he has not just heard it and listened to it, but it's that this instruction contradicts this other instruction of God's. And so I'm going to choose the instruction that contradicts God's. For Adam and Eve, God told them, do not eat from this tree. And Adam said, oh, Eve said we can eat from this. So he's listening to that voice. In this situation, God told Abram, I'm going to give you children. It's going to be through your wife, through Sarah. But Sarah says, well, we have this other option. And Abram chose to listen to that. And so it's showing us here that this is the same issue, new context. It's listening to a bad, contradictory idea over the instruction they've already received from God, over this instruction. And so when Sarah comes to Abram and says, you know, listen, we have this problem. I have a solution. 
This should have been a moment where Abram stopped and said, okay, just pause, just wait. Let's go to God with this need. Let's go to God with this need. Especially because last chapter, what do we see in the previous chapter, right before this? Was Abram cutting a covenant with God, right? Of God reassuring Abram of his promise three different times, telling him, I'm your shield, telling him, look up at the stars, your offspring are going to be as numerous as the stars, and if that's not good enough, then he set up this whole covenant-cutting ceremony where animals are chopped in half and a flaming fire pot went through the middle. Abram just came out of that situation. He should have been able to say, no, God has made a commitment to us. We just need to wait on this. He should have been able to speak the truth in love to his wife here. And I think this is such an important piece of evidence for all of us to recognize our need for community and our need for one another as well. Um, because in this moment, Sarah's community essentially failed her, right? Um, where she came up with a solution that was contradictory to God's will. Could have helped so much pain, so much hurt for Abram to have spoken the truth in this situation to her. For Abram to say, no, this contradicts God's instructions. Let's wait. Let's turn to God. Nonetheless, he didn't. He just kind of said, oh, Hagar, okay. And they went along with it. Now, there might have been some competing temptations there, but we can only speculate. But either way, this is an important thing to recognize just in this little section. That sometimes we won't be hearing God's voice clearly. Maybe we think, oh, well, we can just do this. Yeah, we can just impregnate a slave. And someone needs to come in and speak the truth in love and just show blatantly this is not what God wants. And so we're, what we're going to see here in verse 4, as we continue reading, is that they thought they were hurdling an obstacle. They thought they were solving a problem, but really they were creating a whole new one. They're making more problems. Because in verse 4, it says that he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Or she looked with contempt on Sarah. So what's happening here is once Hagar got that little baby bump, now she is looking with contempt at Sarah. And the Hebrew word for contempt here, kalal, is literally used in the Genesis story of Noah for the waters receding or the waters going down. And so what Hagar literally did was demean Sarah's value or recede her image in front of her there. So basically, she's diminishing her value. She's looking down on her. She's judging her. Um, she's essentially saying, look, I can get pregnant, and you can't. And you're supposed to be my master, but I'm the one who seems to be able to do what you can't do. We all know how important that is. We all know the need that there's so much weight on you. And Hagar essentially uses this. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, now the abuse that she had just gotten She's going to fling it back, diminishing her value in her sight. So Sarah, as we're going to see, is going to get very angry here, and it seems pretty silly, um, but these are real human feelings. This would be a real thing that would set someone off, that would make someone angry, um, because if you could just imagine, okay, this situation, Sarah has been desperately wanting a child for a long time. As soon as Hagar is pregnant, looking with contempt, right, adding contempt already to that frustration, to that stress, um, to that hurt, is only going to just be like a match and start that fire. But if you could just imagine, you know, if, if all of your friends were getting engaged, falling in love, getting married, and you weren't, you were just waiting for the longest time, you know, that's hard enough as it is. But should one of your friends come up to you and say, well, you know, it's just because you're not as cute as I am, then how would you feel? That'd be terrible. Adding a little contempt, it's like, well, I might... I might change the look of your face now. Um, or if you imagine, maybe if it was, you know, a baby, where it's like you see everyone around you seems to be having children. Everyone around you seems to be doing this thing that you've wanted so badly that you're unable. You can just imagine the pain, the heartache that that already includes. But if you add a little contempt, you add conflict to this situation, these feelings are intense. If someone were to say, when everyone else is having kids around, Someone were to say, well, maybe it's, you know, because God wants us to raise kids and not you. Or maybe it's all that junk food you eat. Or maybe it's because you didn't save sex for marriage or whatever it might be. Add a little contempt, fights will happen. 
Those are real, painful feelings. So this isn't just a dirty look. This contempt is intense. And one commentator on this, John Goldingay, says that when Hagar got pregnant, her spite and feeling of superiority came from her confidence that deity had blessed her and that Abram was now dependent on her because she now carried the heir of the family in her womb. So she's going around saying, I'm the solution, you depend on me. Contempt presented this situation. Continue on, verse 5. This happens, Sarah's mad. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. So Sarah now goes after Abram, basically saying this is your fault. And it's kind of subdued and softened in our language. Um, a lot of the Old Testament in the original language is very kind of R-rated, and our English translators will try to bring it down to PG-13 a lot, and so they'll tell you a lot of the times, well, this could be translated here. This whole sentence here, um, she essentially used as trashy of language as she could, as R-rated language as she could, to say, you did a trashy thing with a trashy person. She's really mad. Like Some of the synonyms, I'm not even going to use now. You can Google that later. So she's mad. Uh, verse 6. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So Abram, um, he just doesn't want to be blamed for this. He says, this is your problem. Uh, do whatever you want. Um, and that's his solution. <laughs> uh, essentially, I've washed my hands. I don't want to be a part of this. And so what it tells us is that Sarah treated Hagar harshly. Um, and we don't really know what it means um, to, be, to treat her harshly exactly there. Um, it could be as simple as just showing the same contempt. Um, the word for harshly there just says that she humbled her, she put her in her place, she put her down. Um, but most speculate that the next time she saw her, she either you know, slapped her or it could have been as bad as she physically attacked her in this case. Because whatever it was that Sarah was doing to treat her harshly, this pregnant woman thought it was harsh enough that she just needed to leave and run away and it would be better for her alone in the desert. She runs away. She runs away here. And I think we do have to pause and recognize, okay, in all of this mess, now there are a lot of people who really try to kind of um, valorize and make Hagar the hero in this story, um, you know, because she was oppressed and she really was wrong. But again, the purpose of the Bible is never to elevate any individual except God. And so it's really showing in this situation, okay, Abram, the father of faith, no excuses for his behavior, pretty foolish, pretty sinful, all throughout the story. Sarah, the mother of Israel, who is very well respected, um, she looks really manipulative and power hungry in this situation, willing to abuse someone to get what she wants. And then even Hagar, um, this shows how when she just gets a crumb of power, she twists it and uses it to just hurt Sarah right back. So this is a picture of humanity right here. This is a picture of our need for God. There aren't any true heroes by that definition, but that obviously we need someone else to step in. Obviously, we're going to need God. I think we do have to recognize this. So Hagar, she's running away. She's fleeing. She's essentially running back home. And if you didn't know the end of the story at this point, you would wonder, like, okay, that's it? Like, that was Abram's one chance then to have kids? She's out. She's gone. Um, but we're going to continue on, see where she goes. So let's finish this chapter, verse 7. Hagar runs away. And the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hands against him. And he shall dwell over and against all his kinsmen. And so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God of seeing. 
For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. And therefore the well was called Beer Lahai Roy, but it lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar, or Abram's son, and Abram called the son of his name, called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. And Abram was eighty-six years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. The end of this story here. Hagar ran away. She's in the wilderness, on her way back to Egypt, essentially. And she's approached by this character that we are told is the angel of the Lord. Now, your Bible student alarms should be going off at this point. Whenever you see that title, angel of the Lord, because oftentimes that same title is used for really three different people, essentially. Sometimes, whenever it's the angel of the Lord, um, this is a person in the Old Testament who is actually a picture or an appearance of God the Father himself physical appearance of God the Father, or in some cases, it's a pre-incarnate picture of Jesus himself. That Christmas hasn't happened yet, but Jesus being eternal, Colossians chapter 3, it tells us that Jesus was there at creation. He could still come into history in a body when he wanted to. And so some cases, this angel of the Lord is actually Jesus himself. And that's actually my theory here. Or sometimes the angel of the Lord could literally just be an angel, which just means messenger. Typically, it's a spiritual being who's bringing a message on behalf of God. So those are kind of the three theories. Whenever you see angel of the Lord, you kind of have to look at the context. What is this person doing? Is this person God the Father appearing? Is this Jesus himself? Or is this just another messenger? And many people speculate about Melchizedek that we talked about before, and I told you my opinion. I don't think Melchizedek was Jesus because in the book of Hebrews it says he's like Jesus. Okay, well, didn't tell us he was. But I think this one is an appearance of Jesus. One, well, I'll show you all my variety of reasons. But one, look where he appears. He appears at a well, at a fountain of water. Jesus, we're going to see, is the living water. We're going to see Jesus here to a woman, pretty similar situation, at a well later. And also because this is what the angel of the Lord says. He says, I will multiply your offspring. And then he uses the same exact sentence that was spoken over Abram of, I will multiply your descendants, or I will bless and give you many offspring, that God the Father said to Abram. And now I don't think angels can multiply descendants. Um, I think this is only a Jesus, Holy Spirit thing. Because if you're familiar with the Christmas story, um, you know that the angel made it very clear, um, the Holy Spirit, Mary, is going to be the one who's going to give you the child. Don't look at me. It's not an angel thing. Angel's gotten a lot of trouble for that in a previous chapter, but Ray Straub would love to tell you all about that. And so I don't think this is an angelic thing. I think Jesus steps into the situation. I think Jesus steps into the situation, this abused pregnant woman in the desert, and he does what Jesus always does. He asks a question that he already knows the answer to says, where did you come from, and where are you going? He does this a lot, and it's not because he didn't know the answer to it. This reminds us again of the, of the Genesis story with Adam and Eve, because right after they sinned, God asked Adam, you know, Adam, where are you? And it's not like God had one guy on earth, and then he lost him. He's like, oh no, one job. <laughs> because asking that question and giving us the chance to respond, it provides an opportunity for confession provides an opportunity for us to share from our perspective. So he asks, where have you come from? Where are you going? And Hagar only asks, or answers part of the question. She says, I'm fleeing that psycho chick, Sarah. I'm out of here. Um, and then he has kind of a hard word for her, doesn't he? To return and submit to her. And if you're like me, you might go like, why? Why on earth would Jesus tell her to return there? go right to the very person that mistreated her. Like, how is that fair? And, we're, and I think we saw in the end of it that God has a big plan for this moment, but especially we have to understand that this is always the way God works. It's always towards reconciliation, always towards the healing of relationships. God is always working to restore relationships. And because he's going to send her, one, with a message, and he's still going to bless her. He offers his protection and blessing there. But in verse 11 through 12, 
he gives this blessing, right? <laughs> this prophecy about who her son will be. A wild donkey of a man. Um, now, uh, next time someone tells you that they're expecting a little boy, uh, maybe don't use this. Um, it's like, you know, Munson's so excited for you guys, your baby boy. It's going to be a wild donkey of a man. They're going to be like, thank you. Um, and it's actually kind of argued um, because, as you know, um, Abram is the progenitor of the Jews and the Arabs. And there's actually a fight between Jewish and Islamic scholars over if this is a blessing or a curse. The Jews say, that's not good. You don't like this. This is why nobody likes you. Um, and then the Islamic scholars say, no, this is a good thing. This is why nobody likes us, because we're awesome. Um, and so these, I read one Islamic scholar who actually says that this was quite the compliment. And uh, Christians are just kind of in the middle, like, I think the point's Jesus, but okay. Um, but one Islamic scholar said that this was actually a compliment, and it's a prized prophecy. Um, because for the angel of the Lord to come in and to tell Hagar, your son will be wild donkey, is basically like she would have been stoked on this because what he's saying is he's going to be tough, macho, manly, strong. People will fight against him and they will lose, right? He's going to be undefeated and he's going to rule over his kinsmen. And as a slave girl who was just beaten and oppressed, she would have liked to hear that, that her son will not be pushed around, that her people will not be pushed around, essentially. And so I guess to tr try to translate this to here is a wild donkey of a man. It's like if you, if you were having a son and he got a full ride to mines and then halfway through, you know, he dropped out to start a company and then was becoming a billionaire and investors are fighting over him. But because he's so successful, like people are hating him. They're so jealous of him. But you're thinking that's okay because my boy's awesome. He's huge. Essentially that kind of situation where he was going to rise to so much power that there was going to be conflict, but she would have heard, well, he's not going to get pushed around like I am. Essentially, that's, that would have been an attractive prophecy to her. But he didn't just send her back with that prophetic message. He sent her back with another message. He says, I want you to go back because I want you to tell them something as well. And Hagar was going to be a picture of something as well because she was to name her son Ishmael, which means... God hears. God hears. And you noted there, she named the angel of the Lord, and it's pointed out by a lot of people that Hagar is the first person chronologically in the Bible to name God. She said, you are the God who sees, God who sees me. And so she's going back saying, I encountered the God who sees, and we're to name this child the God who hears. What's ironic is there's been this whole interplay with hearing and seeing in the narrative up to this point, right? Hagar saw she was pregnant, looking with contempt. Sarah saw the way she was looking at her. Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. And there's been a lot of looking and seeing and listening, but not to God this entire time. <laughs> there's been... This feeling from Sarah that well, God doesn't see my situation. God is not doing anything. I need to find my way to get what I want. He's actually preventing me from getting my destiny. And there's been this whole situation where there's been a lot of talking to one another, a lot of listening to one another, and no listening to the voice of God. So God is coming into the situation and saying, I'm the one who hears. I'm the one who sees. Enough of this trying to solve things on your own and creating more problems. Come to me. Come to me instead. This is the message that Hagar comes back with. Abram, Sarah, God sees, God hears. And every time you see me, all the history of the fighting that goes on, every time you see this little baby boy, you know that God hears and God sees. He knows you're barren. He knows you're getting older. He knows that you have a hard time trusting. He sees that. You don't have to find your own way. And go to him and ask, because he hears. Hagar went back to that message. And it looks like Abram got it, because in verse 15 it says that's what they named him. They named him Ishmael. They named him Ishmael, that God does hear. So as we look here, this kind of crazy story, who's the hero in the story? Doesn't seem to be Abram. Doesn't seem to be Sarah. Doesn't even seem to be Hagar. 
a lot of people try to point to. Um, the hero is the angel of the Lord, right? It's this messenger who says, bless Ishmael and his descendants. It's this angel that says, I'm the God who sees, and you are to always know that I'm the God who hears. Always know the God who hears. And this story is a lot like another story that we see later where Jesus, the hero, comes up to another woman in John chapter 4. It's the woman at the well story. Pretty familiar with it, right? He meets this woman who's actually a lot like both Sarah and Hagar. A woman who potentially has made some bad decisions in her life. Whatever it has led to, it looks like she's now in a position where she is being exploited, where she isn't where she should be. Because Jesus offered her living water, a water that can cure the thirst she can't satisfy on her own. She's there getting water in the middle of the day. And Jesus says, if you want this water, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're right, you've had five. The guy you're living with now is not your husband. And it's kind of a uniquely Western thing that we think, okay, well, she must have just been sleeping around and, you know, being loose. Because we have to remember, women could not initiate divorce in that day. So either she had five husbands who die, which is tragic, not her fault, hopefully, or she was just getting passed around. It could be for the very same issue, for infertility. They could do that. And so now, if she's living with someone not her husband, most likely it's a servant situation. She's the victim here. And she, Jesus tells her that. And she's amazed. She knows if Jesus knows that, then he has to be more than just a man. She says, well, you must be a prophet. And then in the story, she goes on this rant about how there's a lot of fighting about religion right now, and they're debating, should we worship here, should we worship there? And it's confused her, and it's really scarred her. She doesn't like talking about it. Um, and that fighting actually began here in Genesis 16. And Jesus says, well, let me clear up that fight for you. He says, well, God is seeking worshipers. People will worship in spirit and in truth. doesn't matter if it's here or there. And she goes, yeah, yeah, don't get all theological with me. Like, the Messiah will clear it up when he gets here. Jesus is like, yeah, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one. I'm the one who was promised. And then he tells her, I'm the living water. I'm the one who can heal brokenness. I'm the one seeking worshipers. And I think we have to look at the irony here, where she's like, yeah, you know, people are arguing about worship, um, and we have to figure it out on our own. Where do we go? And Jesus is saying, no, you don't. I'm the one who has come. God is actually the one seeking worshipers. And I'm the one seeking you. It's actually essentially the same thing that happened to Hagar. She was just trying to find safety, trying to get out of there. And God approached her. God sought her out. And in the same story in very different places and very different times, the hero of the story is this God who keeps appearing to women at wells, who keeps showing that I see you, hear you. I'm the one from whom... You can get life. I am the living water. I am the safety you seek. I'm the meaning you seek. So many of us, as we face those issues in our life, those things that we're tempted to twist into idols, as we face those, those deep, painful situations that come up in our lives, and we're tempted to say, well, other people have solved it this way. It's kind of messed up, but everybody else does it. Um, we'll just find a way around God's will. I think we have to remember. Go to God first. He's a God who hears us. He's a God who invites us to come to him, to ask. And I think in those situations, um, I guess the opposite of what Abram did, um, we have to be a people who can speak the truth and love to one another. When these terrible ideas come up, are we able to speak the truth and love? That is a really bad idea. Are we open to hearing those things? When we have our minds set on this is the way I'm going to achieve my goal, are we open to hearing the voice of another person who might remind us the truth of Scripture? Because God sees, he hears. He sent Hagar back with this message. And he sent us with a message of truth, with the message of the Scripture. I think we can lean on one another in those situations where we're not sure what to do, we can find the only way possible. And go to God first, because he hears, he sees. But when we can't feel like maybe we are hearing him clearly, or we run off with our own idea, Maybe we listen to someone and speak the truth and love to us. Because the Bible truly speaks that the way God's people are supposed to live is not to live as if we have a God who doesn't hear us or doesn't see us. 
or to live knowing that we can ask him, we can wait on him, to stop, to seek, to abide in him, and to remember that it's at these well moments where you know, we might have this whole list of you know, reasons that we're here and all these things, like that woman went off on the theological rant to Jesus. Uh, maybe we just stop and look at him, hear what he has to say. So these two different moments there at the well, I think is what God is kind of reminding us. Stop and come to me. Stop trying to go around me. Get what you're looking for. Stop ignoring everyone around you and trying to manipulate. Get what you want. Would you listen to me? So let's pray. So Father God, um, we just repent of all the different times um, that we have ran out ahead of you. Um, assuming you didn't have our best interests in mind. Assuming you didn't want what's best for us. God, we just pause and we recognize that, that you want what's better for us even better than we want for ourselves. And so God, as we continue on to grow in faith, would you just grow our trust in you? Would you grow our habit to come to you first? God, in so many ways, this chapter in this story, it's not the most fun thing to read, but we just recognize that the hard truth that we need to live by. And so would you write this on our hearts and minds? that we would be a people who continue to just come to you first? Or would you empower us to be a people who speak the truth and love to those around us, who are receptive to direction, who are receptive to your message that you send, just as you sent Hagar with this message that God hears, God sees, we often have ignored. God, would we be a people who are open to that? And now, God, um, we have nothing else but to turn to you in worship. So we thank you for speaking to us, Thank you for your word. Would you continue to write this upon our lives so that we would live more like you? May we continue to grow our trust in you. So Jesus, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Jesus, I surrender all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I Surrender.
So I recognize, especially with this message, um, like this is a hard chapter to read. This is a hard message to receive. Um, it's hard to make jokes of this situation because we're just faced, you know, with like the nastiness of mankind. We're faced with our own idolatry, with our own issues, and and the message to us seems so simple. It's like go to God first. Um, and I know there are some messages that, you know, seem so fun and easy. It's like, you know, eating candy when you come in here to get fed. And this is one of those messages that feels a lot like I just served you green beans and asparagus. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's really hard kind of to eat. And I'm just reminded that the Apostle John did the same thing at the end of his letter in 1 John. This is the last letter, letter that the Apostle John wrote. And he said this. And would you go with these words? He says, I write these things to you. Who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and he says this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything in according to his will he hears us and if we know that he hears us whatever we ask we know that we have what we have asked of him so would you go with those words the Apostle John with grace and peace thank you for being here and have a wonderful week to the